Good morning. Merry Christmas. Oh, very well done. I'm a little surprised. In a polite society, that's how we will respond when we're bid Merry Christmas. Very well done. Doesn't seem very Christmassy outside, though, does it? A little rainy and so forth. Kind of all of that caused me... I struggled a little bit with my wardrobe this morning. You know, I thought, you know, tie and jacket. You know, last night it was appropriate for the evening thing or like Easter, but... I just wasn't feeling that, and then I thought, go, go all the way out of the way. Why don't I just go up there and preach in my jammies? And You see my point. That the problem, although some of the Teagues came in their jammies, not Dr. Mike, so don't go looking back there, right? But, you know, it's like, so I ended up dressing like my father would at this age, which not a bad thing, I, I suppose. But kind of all of that, you know, lends itself to this idea of, a lot of us still don't really get what Christmas is all about, right? I mean, if as I look around the room, I know many of you, and I know many of you are Christ followers, and therefore, you know, you get at the crux of the idea, but, but even we Christ followers during this season get caught up in the gift buying, get caught up in the activities, and get caught up in the parties, right? And this isn't something new. In 1965, my absolute favorite Christmas special was released. A Charlie Brown Christmas. And when I say Christmas special, back in the 60s it had different meaning. I'm, I'm glad this section's empty and our millennials are gone because I'm about to say some shocking things. In the 1960s, if you wanted to watch a Charlie Brown Christmas, you had to watch it when it was televised. No VCR, no DVD, no DVR, no Netflix, Amazon Prime, any of this, right? And on my block in Gary, Indiana, where I grew up, in the late 60s, there was just one color television. Thank God, it was owned by Ken and Gene Martin, and Gene would always invite the kids on the block, let me, let me clarify that. It was Gary, the non-hooligan kids on the block, to her home whenever there was a Charlie Brown special on. And if you're familiar with that program, it deals with that, that very subject. At the very beginning of the program, Charlie Brown is lamenting to his best and possibly only friend Linus that he thinks there's something wrong with him. He doesn't get Christmas. It's the Christmas season, and yet he's unhappy. He, he relates that, you know, he likes the decorating, and he likes all the activity, but there, there's just something missing. So the rest of the program is about Charlie Brown trying to figure this out, right? And the first thing he does is what many of us would do, is to try to find an answer to a spiritual problem in a man-made solution. So he goes to Lucy's psychiatrist booth. Right? Where first, first of all, she demands the nickel up front. And that's 1965, so what's that, like 20 bucks now, right? And then after five minutes of her gleefully shaking the can and describing how much she likes money, she suggests to Charlie Brown that the thing he needs to understand Christmas is more involvement. Does this sound like a familiar solution? So she suggests, Charlie Brown, you need to direct the Christmas play. So he goes to direct the Christmas play. And in doing so, what does he find? He finds chaos and disinterest among his friends. Schroeder's at the piano playing. All of the cast are dancing. Nobody's interested in learning their roles. No one's interested in doing what they're doing. And his frustration just grows. The next step is perhaps 
he needs to get in the proper mood. Let's go get a symbol of Christmas. Let's go get a Christmas tree. And he's directed by the cast to go and get, yes, an aluminum Christmas tree. I was watching this very special last evening with my sons and, and uh, Danielle, and they, they asked me, really, aluminum Christmas tree? And I'm like, in the 1960s, most of you have no idea what I'm talking about, for a very brief time, that was very popular. So what does Charlie Brown do? Goes and gets the most pathetic real tree he can find because he says it needs him. He goes back. He, of course, is rebuked and chastised by the entire cast. Finally, in frustration, at the top of his his lungs, he yells, does anybody really know what Christmas is all about? And then the great actor and theologian Linus slowly makes his way to the stage, drops his blanket at his feet, politely requests lights, please, and says, and there were in the same country shepherds abiding in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And lo, an angel of the Lord came upon them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were sore afraid. And the angel said unto them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, which is Christ the Lord. And this shall be a sign unto you. Ye shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly with the angel was a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. Nailed it. (laughs) I didn't have that in my notes. I had to go without a net on that one. But isn't it interesting that Linus, and and keep in mind, I'm going to keep referring to Linus as if he's an actual human being who makes decisions and has thoughts. But isn't it interesting that Linus focuses on the shepherds? Not on the birth of Jesus as described by Matthew, which we talked about last night. Not on the angel visiting Mary as Jesse preached on. Not on the wise men. Not on any of those things. But on the angels coming to these witnesses who as Luke would continue in that passage, would say, let's go see this thing that happened. And as they would go there, they would say, you know how we got here? Angels came and told us. And then Luke says, they returned, praising God. And that's it. What happened to the shepherds? No further mention. Can you imagine being a shepherd and witnessing this event? What would the rest of your life be like? I wonder, since Jerusalem, five, six miles away, and for any hiker worth his salt, less than a two-hour walk, right? If 30 years later, they may have been in Jerusalem when this young upstart preacher from Galilee was speaking with authority. Or if maybe even a few years later, they heard the apostles preach after Christ had been crucified and risen again and may have joined the church there. Any way you look at it, in their lifetimes, I wonder if they ever really knew who this baby really was. And many years later, certainly beyond the lifespan of these guys, the author of the book of Hebrews would describe perfectly who this baby was 
and what he was accomplishing. Would you stand with me, please? We're going to read from the 8th chapter of Hebrews, the first six verses. I hold there, page 1005. Hebrews 8, the first six verses. And here's what the Hebrews author says. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better since it is enacted on better promises. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how you have completed um, your word to us, how you have shown us the fulfillment uh, of what you, you promised so many centuries ago. Father, we ask that as we look at your word, our hearts would be warmed, our hearts would be encouraged, uh, and that we would, we would find uh, our home in you and in, and in who you are. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Something of an odd text for Christmas, don't you think? I mean, priests and tents and Moses and sacrifices. Where's the baby Jesus? Where's the angels that Linus just spoke of? Where's the multitude of the heavenly hosts, right? But you know who would understand this text? You know who this text would make sense to? The shepherds. The shepherds were almost certainly Jewish. Now, we're not told that, but they're, they're working outside of Bethlehem. God decided to send an angel to them. It makes sense that they were of, of the nation of Israel, that they were Jews. And being just a short distance from, from Jerusalem, the center of the faith, they would certainly know what priests are. They had probably journeyed there and made offerings and sacrifices themselves. And they would connect what the temple was as far as the legacy of the, ta- of the tabernacle. So although these shepherds kind of, kind of uh, would know what was going on, they would not have realized it at the time. They would have gone to see the baby Jesus, and they would have probably realized, wow, this is important. I mean, the, the multitude of heavenly hosts would have given that away. But would they have really at that time understood who Jesus would be and what he would do, that he would live a perfect life, die, and then be resurrected? Probably not. They would probably be, like most people at the time, looking for an earthly king. In fact, they probably came away from Bethlehem going, wow, in a few years when this kid grows up, we're going to throw off the Romans. We're going to reestablish the throne of David. It's going to be awesome. But, had the shepherds been around to read this letter, they would have understood what was being said. In the New Testament, we see that Jesus is constantly talked about. If you're a follower of Christ or familiar with Scripture, you know this. The New Testament constantly speaks of Jesus, but so does the Old. And the shepherds who would have been familiar with what we now call the Old Testament 
would have been able to connect the two. After the exodus from Egypt, God gave the law to Moses. That included the moral law, which centers on the Ten Commandments, how we're we're to act, the civil law, but also the ceremonial law, the ceremonial law of the priests and of the tabernacle. The tabernacle, this tent of meeting, the meeting place of God and his people. And that's what the Hebrews author is referring to here in verse 5. He says this, For when Moses was about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God saying, See that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. Moses was to oversee the construction of this tabernacle and its content. And the Hebrews author explains why. The sentence before that, because they serve a copy and shadow of heavenly things. When we speak theologically about types or copies or shadows, what we're talking about is actual historical events, which God put in place as an example or a symbol, which beforehand he placed so that later it would point forward to a later reality. The animal sacrifices in the tabernacle perfectly prefigure Christ. The temple itself, everything in it, from the bread to the lampstand to the gold that was used, points to Christ. And the Old Testament priests were types of Christ. When the author of, what the author of Hebrews is saying is that this type, this copy, this shadow that had been represented historically has been fulfilled. It has been fulfilled in Jesus the Christ. So, who is this high priest? Who is this Jesus? Verse 1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. In the first seven chapters, and I just asked Kate about this. Some of you ladies have just finished studying Hebrews, right? So you know that in the first seven chapters of this letter, of this sermon, the Hebrews author is making a case. Much like Romans, you may be familiar with Romans. You've heard of Romans, yes? That's what I thought so. He is building a case. He's building an argument. And in this case, what he is saying is that we have an infinitely superior high priest to anything in the temple, to anything in the tabernacle. He starts by saying Jesus is superior to the angels. He describes how Jesus is superior to the law of Moses. Not only the law of Moses, but to Moses. And he calls on the example way back in Genesis of Abraham and Melchizedek, this kind of mysterious king-priest to whom Abraham, the father of Israel, paid a tithe and gave honor. And that's who we have. What the author of Hebrews is saying is this. Jesus supersedes and surpasses all that has come before. And Jesus himself told us that. And one of those famous little back and forths between Jesus and the religious leaders of the time, he made the claim that he was God. And they they questioned him on that. And his response was this, before Abraham was, I am. If any of those shepherds had heard those words, if they were there when Jesus was speaking, there'd be no question in their minds as to what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying, he is superior in person to all who had come before. He is God in the flesh. What else is the Hebrews author telling us about this great high priest? That he is also superior, not only superior in person, but in where he ministers. Again, in the middle of verse uh, 1. 
He is seated at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places in the true tent that the Lord set up. This is the Hebraic way of saying Jesus is now and forever in heaven next to the throne of the Father. And these shepherds would have understood that. Not in a man-made tent, but in heaven, a tent made by God. Our great high priest is seated in heaven at the right hand of God. And finally, his ministry is superior to that of the, of the priest. Verses 3 and 4. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus, it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest at all, since there are priests who offer gifts according to the law. What did the earthly high priests do? They offered gifts and sacrifices continuously, over and over again, because their sacrifices were symbolic. They were insufficient to cover our sins. But verse 6, what does Jesus do? But as it is, Christ has obtained a ministry that is as much more excellent than the old as the covenant he mediates is better. Christ made one sacrifice, once and for all, never to be made again. Our sin, our guilt has been banished through Christ and his sacrifice, the only effectual sacrifice of the perfect lamb, the very lamb of God. Our iniquity has been taken away. Our sin has been purged now and forever. So what then is our high priest ministry? He sits at the right hand of the throne of majesty in heaven, interceding on our behalf. The news to the shepherds in Luke was this. The true high priest, the ultimate high priest, the only effectual high priest has come. His name is Jesus. He is both king and priest. He is the exalted Lord, the Son of God, seated at the right hand of the throne, and he intercedes on our behalf before the Father. Now, I don't know what happened to our shepherds. If one of those shepherds was, say, 15 years old at the time of the birth of Christ, he would have been about 45 when Jesus was conducting his ministry. He'd be about 50 when Christ was resurrected. And of course, he'd be in his 70s at the time this, this letter was, was written. But it seems to me they must have had a role beyond simply being the witnesses of Christ's birth. Luke records, as we said, that they shared the news and they went back to what they were doing. But it seems to me that the God who saves, that the God who steps out of heaven to walk with his creation, that the God who sacrifices himself to satisfy his own sense of justice would have much more for these shepherds than that. Perhaps 30 years later, they saw this preacher from Galilee in Jerusalem and connected that he was the one that they went and visited as his birth. Perhaps they were amongst the broader disciples of Jesus. None of the 12 were identified as shepherds, and they were all from Galilee. But Scripture identifies this broader group of followers. Maybe the shepherds were there. Or maybe the shepherds, after Christ's resurrection and ascension, became a part of that first Jerusalem church who devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, who praised God and whose numbers were added to daily. 
I don't know, whatever the case, we, like they, now have a great high priest interceding on our behalf at the throne of heaven, having made the ultimate sacrifice for us. And that, Charlie Brown, is what Christmas is all about. Right now we're going to move to a time where we celebrate another ceremony. A ceremony instituted by Jesus the night before he was betrayed. In which he broke the bread and said, This is my body which I am going to give for you. And then he instituted that new covenant that the Hebrews author was referring to. He said, This cup is my blood. The new covenant that he is making, that God is making with man. Here at Redeemer, we celebrate uh, communion by dipping the bread in the cup. There are two cups, one with wine, marked with twine, one with grape juice. Uh, I think there'll just be a station up here. Let's pray. Father God, we're thankful for um, the gift of the great high priest, the gift of a savior, the gift whose sacrifice was enough that completed Uh, the washing of our sins, the washing of our iniquities that made us whiter than snow in your eyes, Father. We're so thankful that you had chose to love us and to demonstrate that love um, by sacrificing yourself. And we just lift up your name this morning as we celebrate uh, the birth of that Savior uh, and the life he would live. In Jesus' name, amen.